Okay, this is Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth, and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell in safety. And this is the name by which she will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Psalm 25, 1 through 10. Unto you, O Lord, do I bring my life. Sorry, this is one of my, one of my chapters. Probably should pick something else to read. Oh my God, I trust, lean on, rely on, and am confident in you. Let me not be put to shame or be disappointed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Yes, let none who trust and wait hopefully and look for you be put to shame or be disappointed. Let them be ashamed who forsake the right or deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and faithfulness, and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, you only and all together, do I wait all the day long. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercy and loving kindness, for they have been ever from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your mercy and steadfast love, remember me. For your goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his way. He leads the humble in what is right And the humble, he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and steadfast love. Even truth and faithfulness are they for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. First Thessalonians 3, 9 through 13. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make your increase and abound, make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Luke 21, 25 through 36. There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth dismay among nations and perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. Men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. 
But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you that this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day will not come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those that dwell on the face of all the earth. But keep alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Thank you, Richard. What did you guys hear? <clears throat> what did you hear in those readings? Anything stick out to you? Anne. There's something there's something happening, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, God. Yep. I'm I'm going to do something here. I'm I'm going to do what I promised to do. What about in Psalms? What did you get what did you guys hear in Psalms? Psalm 25. All the things that Jesus is going to accomplish. Okay. All right. Right. Yeah, there's this desire in, in, the, in the Old Testament. There's this hope of, of God doing something. There's this promise of God doing something. And, and hope is the big piece that I want you guys to catch in that. Because this, this is the first Sunday of Advent. It's the candle of hope. And that's what they lived with <clears throat> in the Old Testament. The hope of God doing these things that he was promising. And in the New Testament, did you guys hear something in the New Testament readings? Hope in the final return of Christ, exactly. Anything else? Yes, yeah, Steph? Assurance that he's going to do what he said. <laughs> That's great. Somebody else? I heard somebody. His word will never fail. Be prepared. So this, this idea of hope and redemption and God says something, he's going to do it. Keep in mind that I, I believe it's between Malachi and Jesus' arrival is like 400 years of silence. Four hundred years for the nation of Israel. Nothing was happening. No prophets saying much of anything. So 
Advent and Lent are marked with being penitent or being repentant, um, being humble before God and seeking Him, being um, the, the early church understood the significance of both seasons as pivotal in human history. You can't have the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ without Jesus' first coming, right? And, and so both seasons are supposed to be celebrated with, with a great deal of pause, you know, a, a great deal of humility. And, and the thing is, is, when I talk about repentant and being joyful... Then, then I think there's this dichotomy where we have all of the craziness of the season going on and then being repentant. And some would say those things are at, at odds with each other, but I'd submit to you they actually go hand in hand. Because um, some, some of you guys were at the men's breakfast a couple weeks ago when Stan talked about the, the infinite joy of heaven, the infinite joy around the throne of God. And today, as we begin this Advent season, being repentant and being joyful go hand in hand. Now, do you guys notice we got some decorations around the church? It's kind of funny to watch people's reactions when you walk in. But this, the, the decorations, for the most part, are provided by Kay. Thank you, Kay. Some of these are made by Kay. They're things that, um, that she's collected over the years. And the thing is, is everywhere you look, there's a snowman. <laughs> they're everywhere. And, and here's the thing that, that, that I really get out of this is these snowmen bring a great deal of joy to Kay. And she brought them in for us to enjoy with her. And I'm thankful for that today. Now, Kay, I'll admit, when I first came in, the front doors... I was like, whoa, Kay has been here. <laughs> but I helped you move. So I knew that you had some snowmen. And um, li listen, you guys. The excesses of the season would appear to be at odds with a repentant and humble heart. But I want to submit to you that this is a season of excess because our God is a God who gives in excess. So the Advent season is the coming, it's the preparation of this where God reveals the excess of his love to humankind. And if we have anything where we go, well, I don't know, that's just kind of silly. You know, they're decorating downtown and they're doing bah humbug. You need to repent. It's the season of repentance. Well, I can't afford all of this. I'm not asking you to afford more than what you can afford. I'm asking you to realize that 
Every time you see a decoration, every time you look at that, you should be like, wow, God, your Advent is still being celebrated even by people who are ignorant to it. They think they're worshiping Santa Claus. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit. They think they're worshiping Santa Claus, but you know what? They are celebrating the Advent of Jesus Christ. And as we, as a body of believers, would better get a grip on this, we would understand that it's worth all the pomp and circumstance we can throw at it. It's worth us giving gifts to our friends, our family. It's worth it. Why? Because our Father in heaven gave gifts to us. The most important gift, the gift of his son. But as we give gifts, let us give gifts with that same heart that says, Lord, we celebrate your coming. And we look forward to the time when you will come again. Because if he came once and he said he's coming again, he's coming again. Church, otherwise, we are of the most foolish people in the world. If there is no resurrection, if Jesus is not coming back, We're losers. Yeah, the most desperate losers of all. But we're not exactly, Paula. That's what I love about it is because God still is working through all of this. So as we proceed through this Advent season, we'll ponder this every Sunday, and then we will begin to unpack the season of Christmas not, not so we can be more liturgical, but so that we can get a hold of the treasure of the season instead of just thinking that it's commercialized, instead of missing what is meant to happen here, what is imparted to us um, by our brothers and sisters that have gone before us. Amen? So uh, we'll talk some more here in a moment, but uh, let's take a moment. Let's pray, and uh, I got to hold you. You're so cute. I was pretty excited when Finley came. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. God, I thank you that you sent your son, that he came for us. God, as we would celebrate this season, Lord, help us to in every aspect of this season, get a grip, a a better understanding, Lord, of your intentions, your promises, the hope that we have, because when you speak, we can believe that it's going to happen, even if it may not look like the circumstances are perfect, Lord, you're still going to bring about what you've promised to do. So, Lord, in this Advent season, Leading up to Christmas, we ask, Lord, that you would be glorified and your hope would fill our hearts in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's- um, the last song we sang, it talked about the dry bones. And then it brought about, um, then it sung about unity. And um, please forgive my emotions. <laughs> So in my studies, in my studies over this last week, um, God showed me how, I mean, 
the story of Ezekiel and the dry bones is him rising up an army. I mean, there's a lot of symbolism there, but as I have always known it, it's, you know, God saying, I can, ca- I can bring the dead to life, you know, and I can cause an army to come. You know, we're not alone. But this week, God showed me a similarity in the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And sometimes the body of Christ can be like the dry bones. And they can be disjointed. There can be injury. There can be hurt. There can be isolation. And he showed me that in the same story is like the body of Christ. So I'm going to read Ezekiel 37 to you guys. A portion. I don't know where to stop because it is all amazing. And even as I say that, I'm like... Is that all right if I read for a minute? And the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me... Okay, so as I'm reading this, think of the body of Christ. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit and set me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass among roundabout, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And again he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So I'm just going to say to you guys, if there's been any hurt or injury in your family, in the body of Christ, um, and you wonder if there can be healing, God says... That there can be life. Okay, I've lost my place. Um, he said, O Lord God, thou knowest. And he said, Prophesy again over these bones and say, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the word of the Lord to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. And I will put sinew on you and make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, and put the breath in you that you may come alive. And you will know that I am the Lord. He can cover you. He can cover that relationship. He can bring it back into joint. He can bring life back into that. So I prophesied and I, as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a rattling. And the bones, the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews covered them. But there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may come to life. So I prophesied as as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life, and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. And he said, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they, behold, goodness. Let me just say praise to God because I'm not able to read ever since um, fluently. And so I'm just going to leave it there and just say, God, I feel like you've spoke. Just God can bring life. Stephanie, thank you for sharing that. I think that so ties in with the word this morning 
as well. So I love, I love it when God does that. So <clears throat> Advent is this season of moving um, towards Bethlehem. And, I, and my, my Hebrew is not real good, but I, I know that it's closer to Bethlehem, and, um, which means house of bread. I always think it's kind of cool that uh, the bread of heaven was born in a city known to be the house of bread. So I, I want to I talk about this moving towards Bethlehem, the house of bread, and we're going to look in uh, Luke chapter 2 today, verses 1 through 5. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, I know I grew up hearing this portion of Scripture. I can't even tell you guys how many times growing up in church I've heard this portion of Scripture, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I connect with it because we just hear it and go, ah, whatever, you know, it's, it's kind of like the Charlie Brown teacher, right? Wah, 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 you know, and... And it came to pass in those days that President Trump decided that the whole world, yeah, what? Now, now I got your attention. Okay, before I finish reading this, I, I, want, I want to get some context for you guys to connect with. Wayne, where is your family from? Central Iowa. Okay, so Central Iowa. Troy, where is your family from? Matitsi. Okay, so we'll call it Matitsi for, for today. Okay, uh, Libby, where is your family from? Where, where is your family centered? Originally Ireland, but let's, let's say in the United States. North Carolina. All right. Amy, how about you? California, what part of California? San Diego. San Diego area, okay. So when you guys think about this, when we finish reading this, I want you to think in terms of this. Political figure Caesar Augustus got this wild hair to order the Roman Empire, as far as anybody knew, that was the world at that time, to have a census. And what that meant is that wherever your family is from, that's where you have to go and be registered. For us, living here in Cody, Wyoming, some of you would be able to stay in Cody. But even for Ethan, sorry, Ethan, you're not of age yet. You wouldn't be able to stay in Cody and say, this is where my family, you'd have to go where your father is from. Your father was born in Forest Grove, Oregon. So you're going to travel to Forest Grove, Oregon. I'm going to travel to probably Tillamook, Oregon. Even though I was born in Portland, my family resided in Tillamook. And, and so as we start doing this, I want you guys to understand something. When they're talking about this, this isn't one of those, oh, it's such a nice Christmas story. It's the whole world is being thrown into 
this chaos because Caesar Augustus, sitting in Rome, got this wild idea, hey, let's number everybody, but in order to do it, let's make them go to their hometowns. Doesn't that sound like a great idea? You guys think, oh, no big deal. But as we read this, this decree went out, and it threw everybody's lives up in the air. Now, some of you can say, oh, great, man, the family reunion. Well, we, we understand when we read the rest of the story that family reunions didn't work out so good for Joseph and Mary because they wound up in a stable, right? Okay, so this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. That means King David, right? To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So we know that she's fairly close to her due date, and we're going to put her on a donkey, or maybe she's going to walk. We don't know. We've got all of the cute little Christmas card pictures of Mary on a donkey and Joseph leading the donkey. We don't know for sure that that's how it went down, but we know that they had to travel. Get this, you guys. As the crow flies, Nazareth to Bethlehem is about 70 miles As a matter of actual foot travel, it would be closer to 90 miles. Well, I know some of you are thinking, especially you kids, you're thinking, 90 miles, that's, that's Billings. We can get to Billings in, in an hour and a half, right? Do you guys realize that this trip likely took closer to a week? Because they didn't jump in Lowell's car. What, what do you guys call that big battle cruiser that you guys have? That big Mercury. The one that gets hit with when you guys aren't driving it. Maggie. Maggie. But what is it really? Lincoln Town Car. They didn't have the Lincoln Town Car to get into and, and drive from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And so when you kids are thinking, this isn't no big deal. Yeah, Mia. They had to go by foot. Exactly. So they had to walk there, and I was talking to somebody this week that his family was involved in um, the early days of Cody and leading uh, groups into Yellowstone and going around and going on a tour that we all could do in 12 hours fairly easily took them 16 days. He said the average distance that they could cover on horseback was 15 miles. So when I say that this trip likely took closer to a week, it may have even been a little bit over a week. I'm, I'm calling it, you know, 15 miles per day would have been a six-day trip. They were going through mountains. It wasn't like, we've got this nice little flat ground that we're traveling on. It's through the mountains. It's through rocky places. So 
A distance of 70 miles as a crow flies, more like 90 miles on foot. As far as Joseph and Mary likely thought at that time, they, yeah, yeah, we can say, man, Mary had an angel of the Lord showed up and told her what was going to go on. And she said, wow, I don't know how this is going to happen, but let it be unto me your servant. Here, here I am, Lord. Use me if you can. Joseph, he's wrestling with this whole thing. Do I divorce her? Do I put her away? Because she apparently was unfaithful. And an angel of the Lord shows up in a dream to Joseph and tells him, this is God's plan. This is stuff going on that's beyond you, buddy. You, you need to just trust her and trust me in the middle of all of this. And believe me, I'm super paraphrasing right now. Okay? But I want you guys to get a hold of this because in the midst of this, Joseph and Mary are likely getting ready to give birth in Nazareth, and, and then this stupid ruler of the world says, hey guys, I thought it'd be cool if you'd take a trip to Bethlehem. Yeah, it's only 90 miles, right? Get a hold of this for a second. And, and you guys, there's a reason why this is so important, why I'm laboring on this a bit. Of all the times for someone to decide to count all of us, of all the times that you know God's getting ready to do something here and you're making us go to Bethlehem. I had it all set up. We were, had, we were all good here in Nazareth and here we are. And imagine for a moment if that happened today, where would you be going? We already talked about that a little bit. Where would you be going? How, how inconvenient would that be to your business? How inconvenient would that be to your job? How would you afford it? What kind of attitude would you have? This wasn't a nice day trip. This was messing up your life for over a week just to get there. Why is this so important? Exactly. Thank you, Leona. Why is it so important? Because God said this is what's going to take place. Do you think God was up there? You know, how are we going to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. Those guys are living in Nazareth. How are we going to do this? You know, I don't know if there's an angel up there that said, hey, you know, Caesar Augustus, he's a nut. All we have to do is whisper. Wouldn't it be cool to know how many people you're ruling over? Yeah, I don't know exactly how it all went down, but what I do know is God knew that he had to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem so that his word could be fulfilled. And it was inconvenient. Would you agree? It caused the whole world to be chaos. And so when we say, Oh, little town of Bethlehem, we're missing it. I'm sorry, you guys. It wasn't little town of Bethlehem. It was, oh, town of Bethlehem, bursting at your seams, stinking and garbage everywhere. I mean, come on, you guys. There were humans living there, and they were way over their normal numbers. 
just think of the logistics of what, what is happening. Obviously, Caesar Augustus wasn't thinking about, hey, this is going to be great. We'll handle this. We'll have everybody in place. I think it was just one of those things that just threw the world into chaos. And as we think about the Christmas story, we miss those things. And here's the point that I want to get at. There's three things that I want to share with you guys today. If God can get his son to his intended destination, he can get you to yours. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And that day of Jesus Christ is his return, his coming again when we're in his presence. Amen? If God, this is number two, if God complete his, can complete his work of redemption through his son, then he can complete his work in you. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21 says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is pleasing, what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. If God can complete his work of redemption through his son, then he can complete his work in you. See, I think you guys might be thinking, okay, that's good, but I think you're missing this point here. I want you guys to get, again, connected. Nazareth to Bethlehem. Super inconvenient. So I want you to understand something. God is going to work through the inconveniences. He's going to work through situations that you think, this isn't God. This is stupid Caesar Augustus. This is stupid Trump. This is stupid Obama. This is stupid whoever you want to blame. And you're going to be looking at those circumstances. And i got to tell you something. God is right smack in the middle of them. He's not intimidated by our world today. Isn't that good news? If God can cause a road trip, this is the third point. I'm going to close and we're going to have communion. If God can cause a road trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem to work into his plan, then he can cause all things to work together for good to get you to your destination. You guys know what scripture I'm going to probably, but I'll read it anyway. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. You know what, you guys, there's been a lot of things that have happened in my life that I don't necessarily think were of God, but I'm thankful that I have the, the truth that he is able to use everything for good because I'm called according to his purpose. And it doesn't matter if you can look at everything in your life and say, well, that was of God or that wasn't of God. Bring it all before him because he's going to use it all for his glory to get you to your destination. God is at work to get you, to get us to our destination. And that's the hope of this Advent season. That's the hope that we need to hold on to. That's the reason why all of these decorations that we see in this building right now are worth it. And if we could fill it up to the rafters and, and have stuff on the walls, and I know you guys are thinking, Pastor Kenny's going, he's, he's, he's having a breakdown. But I want you guys to get a hold of something. The chaos that the world was thrown into is something God used 
to get his son where he needed to be to fulfill his word. And you may look at your life and say, there's all sorts of chaos, there's all sorts of failure, but he's still at work getting you to your destination. Is that good news? That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we come to this table now, we come because we have hope. We come because not, we, not because we have our own sufficiency. We come to this table because of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ represented in this bread. I blow it. I mess up. So do you. But what this tells me is, is he's going to get me to my destination in spite of what President Trump does. He's gonna, he may even use what President Trump does to get me there. Vladimir Putin may do something that totally messes things up in this world. Chinese ruler could do the same thing, could throw us all into, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? The stock market may crash tomorrow. God's still on the throne. <laughs> Amen? And he's still going to get us there. So what are you going to do about it? Submit. The best you know how, and when you fail, you get up and dust yourself off and submit again because this bread represents his ability, his strength, and we partake of that this morning. We're partaking of and we're remembering the death of Jesus Christ. That in this Advent season, we not only remember his first coming, but we also remember why he came. And we remember that he said, I'm coming to receive you again. And as we partake of this bread, we're saying, Jesus, I need you. I need your strength. I need your ability. And as we partake of this juice, we're partaking and remembering his blood that was shed for the remission, for the removal of sin. Amen? So as we take a moment in worship here, I invite you to come and partake when you're ready. We're not in a hurry. But consider what we've been talking about. Consider the challenges that you've been facing. Consider the things that you've thought are too big for God. And give room for hope right now as you come and partake at this table and say, Jesus... I'm bringing all of those things to you, and I say, Lord, if you can use all of those things for your glory, then here I am.